We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Bible today, let's open up to 2 Samuel chapter 8. I thought about doing a Valentine's message on love, but I said, ah, it's all right. They, you already love them. They know you do. But 2 Samuel chapter 8, as we continue our journey through the scriptures, uh, we see, first of all, the preservation, verses 1 through 6. Then we see the dedication, in verses 7 through 14. And then we close with administration in verses 15 through 18. As we continue to learn really from the life of David and how God used him in building the kingdom, and I think for us, we are we're all part of that. We're still kind of wanting to be used by God to, to build the kingdom, so to speak. And so look what we read in verse 1. It says, After this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took uh, Metheg and Amma from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line, with two lines. He measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadizar, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went out to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadizer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. Here it is. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. We read first of all of David's preservation. You know, the bottom line is the enemy would love to kill him, just kill this guy. But God wills him to live, and not simply, you know, saying no to fatality, but saying yes to victory. That's this preservation that we're going to talk about. We read in verse 1 that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. Uh, the King James Version uses the word smote. I like that. He smote them. You know, it literally means he struck them. And the NIV goes even further. It says that David subdued and humbled the Philistines. For that last Hebrew word there is often translated humbled, and it literally speaks of bringing one low. And so, you know, Finally, and for those of you guys who have read the Bible, you know about the Philistines. You've read about them through the book of Judges and, and even in parts of Joshua. Now, as we've gone through 1 Samuel and now 2 Samuel, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Finally, after all these years, these enemies who for decades had been humbling the people are now finding themselves humbled. These people who come against God's people, killing God's people, finally... The Philistines were subdued by David. 
You know, and that right there, when you really understand that, it's just an awesome message. It just goes to show it doesn't matter how long it's been. Even if it's been all your life, all your life, the Philistines have harassed you, have hindered you, have come against you. God says, you know what, there's still hope. Because there's someone like David. There's, we learn from the life of David. I tell you what, we have not been going through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel in vain. We are gleaning from the life of David, the faith of David. We saw it then when he went against the giant and he slew Goliath. And we began to learn from his life. And how the day came finally when he subdued the Philistines. It's so cool to me how he attacked them. He attacked them there in verse 1. And, and he subdued them. You know, and it doesn't matter, you guys. There's still hope for change in our life. Have you guys heard that, that saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Some of you believe that. You, you say that, well, that's just who I am. That's just how I am. That's the way I've always been. And God says, you know what? That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. Those are not phrases of faith. God says, I can still change you. I can still overcome the Philistines. You see, God provides the means for victories over our own Philistines, whatever they might be. And so tonight, you know, if you could just pause for a moment, what are you struggling with? You know, what is going on in your life? I want to encourage you, don't kick back. Attack like David did and watch what God does. He will direct you. He will protect you. And he will perfect you. As you just go forward by faith. Now we read in verse 2 that David defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. And David measured them off with a line. And so, you know, if you can visualize for a second, I mean, here's the enemies of Israel. They're, they're down here on that side of the map. And, um, you know, they've been a thorn in the flesh as well. And so the day comes. Imagine such power that he just, he has them all laid down on the ground, and I don't know how he did it, you know, he gets a, a piece of whatever string, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, 10 yards long, okay, one, you know, you guys, two, okay, all you guys die, three, you're, you're spared, and then he just goes on, one, two, you're all dead, okay, you're spared. That's the power that God gave to David. He made them lie down on the ground and measure them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were then put to death. The third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. You know, and it's not that God wanted them to die like that. It's just that in self-defense and protection of God's people, they needed to be defeated. And that's the way it is. You know, the other day, I don't know if you guys were following that story of the cop killer, Christopher Dorner. You know, this crazy man responsible for the death of four innocent people. You know, when, what did you guys do? When you found out that he was surrounded there in that cabin at Big Bear, what were you guys thinking? You know, when I found out, I know I called my daughter and I said, let's pray because we were here. And, 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 and we didn't pray that he'd die. We prayed for God's will to be done because I knew if that guy killed himself, I knew chances are this guy's going to hell, right? We didn't pray that he'd die. We prayed for God's will to be done, that he would look up to God, not end up in hell. But in that prayer at the same time, there's an understanding that sometimes these people will not repent. No, one, no, no other innocent life should die. Lord, 
your will be done. And, and that's the way it is sometimes. God doesn't take pleasure in their death, but sometimes he allows it because he knows the full story. Here we see David defeated the Philistines. He defeated the Moabites. And then we read in verses 3-4 through four that David defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And he took from him a thousand chariots, uh, more than likely 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Can you think about that, you guys? I mean, I know we just read those numbers real, real, real all lightly. A, a thousand chariots. That's a thousand tanks, right? I mean, 7,000 of the cavalry, 20,000 soldiers. I mean, the thing that we're seeing here is just great victories. Absolutely amazing. What's happening now in the nation of Israel and through the leadership of David is they are taking it to a completely different level. That's what we see going on here. And I, I think in, in my life, and I think that a lot of times we just got to kick it in. Not that we're striving, but we are believing God wants to do a great work. And well, you, gotta, you just got to take it to a different level. Because, you know, maybe we've been at this level for just a little too long now. And God is saying, you know what, I want to ignite that passion within you like never before. Because a lot of times what happens in Christians' lives is that there, there's more of a fire when they first got, got started. And it's sad because it should not be that way. The fire should grow stronger as we're walking with the Lord. Our love should be deeper, more than it's ever been. And we should just be, you know, going in, in, in one sense, in, in just a descriptive way to those different levels of serving Him. You know, but a lot of times I, I think we don't because we basically are stuck somewhere. You know, I remember one time, um, I shared with this with you guys, and I, I probably have said it many times, you know, I, I worked at Vaughn's, and I was having a conversation with a man there, I, and I, I was just, I was a young guy, and I, I was working in the produce department, and this guy, to be honest with you, he didn't have a lot of wise things to say, uh, and I didn't really like him, to be honest with you. Even though I was a Christian, I, I was like, Lord, I don't like this guy, can you transfer him to a different Vaughn's? You know, and eventually he did. Thank God. No, I'm just joking. You know, but I remember one thing he told me. He said, Manny, you only go as far as you fail. And I, and I, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I had, you know, so many conversations with this guy. And he always tried to give me his little nuggets and little words of wisdom. But for some reason, that phrase, it just has always stuck to me. You only go as far as you fail. You know, when I read the Bible, I'll, I'll be honest with you, they are examples of that. You only go as far as you fail. When I look at church history, I see testimonies of that. You only go as far as you fail. And I don't know about you, but I believe we need to take out this book and just bring our commitment to Christ to a different level and we need to fight for what's right like we've never done it before. 
You know, I think that David here, when you start reading about him attacking the Philistines and subduing them and, and how he defeats the Moabites in such a way, such a powerful way, and then, you know, it's no problem, a thousand tanks, seven thousand cavalry, twenty thousand soldiers, what you're finding is that he's just, it's just a different level here for the nation of Israel, for David. And I think for us, it's just a calling. It's it's a beautiful thing, and it's not you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry, well, Manny, I'm not good enough, or Manny, I'm not whatever enough, you know? I don't know what it is that you might be thinking about. It's not you, though. It's just, it's just the Lord. Is the Lord enough? The Lord's enough. He's just looking for willing vessels. Here am I, God. Send me. I have no limitations. I have no reservations, Lord. I'm going to turn off the TV. Sometimes it's okay. You know, turn off the TV. You get to your knees or you start reading your Bible, praying, asking God to show you things that you need to do. But, you know, it's just so cool. It's the Lord. Yeah, and that's what you guys want. I know, right? You don't want what men can do. We want what the Lord can do. And I think that the Lord found somebody like that in David. You know, we see right here that when David got the, the horses, it says in verse 4, also David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Have you guys ever pulled a hamstring? Yes, I, I know this is different, but I remember one time I played softball, I didn't stretch. It shows you that you're getting old, huh? And so I pulled one hamstring as I was running after a ball, but I didn't want to get out, pull myself out of the game, so then I stayed in there and they pulled the other hamstring. <laughs> it's weird, you know, but here we see David, what he did was he clipped the, the little, the, what is it right there? There's this little um, tendon in the leg, and it makes the animal unfit for warfare. And the reason David did this undoubtedly was in obedience to Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, where God instructs the future kings of Israel not to multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. And just all this, you know, we're learning about David. You see, God didn't want his kings or his congregations to come to rely on horses and war chariots in the future. And so, you know, there's that principle there. You know, we're not to look to the world or the props of the world or the people of the world or the ways of the world or the wealth of the world in doing war and more for God. We need to keep ourselves in a place of dependence upon God. And we need to do our part in hamstringing those horses in order that we might always be dependent upon the Lord. And Joshua did the same thing in Joshua 11, verse 9. I want to tell you something. You might have horses in your life, things that you're leaning on. It might be your bank account. You know, and don't get me wrong. I don't want, I'm not getting weird here. I mean, I, you know, but I'm just saying the bottom line is whatever it is that you're, that you're clinging to, that you're leaning to, that you're looking to, and it could be, you know, something about yourself or I don't know what it is, but, but God is saying stop depending on that. You know, because then what you're doing is you're not depending on me. And when you're not depending on God, then you won't receive the power of God and the things that God wants to do. And that's why the Bible says frequently in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We trust in Him. Do you trust in Him? Do you really trust in God? Because when you trust in God, I tell you what, life is different. And it, and it manifests itself in so many ways. One of the ways is steps of faith. Because you trust in God. See, a lot of times we don't. Psalm 33, verse 16, it says, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A, a mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. You know, um, I'll share this with you guys. And since you guys are, 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 you really love God since you came to church on Valentine's Day. And uh, you won't tell anybody, but, you know, we went to go look at a building today. And it's just, when I look at the building, I'm like, wow. You know, because we've been looking at so many buildings for the church. And then, you know, um, basically it's something that we can't afford. But I told Henry, I said, you know, Henry, we've never moved into a building that we can afford. We never have. And you might think, well, Manny, that's just not being a good steward. You, I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, just, I just know. I just know. Because God has already flexed his muscles. And he expects us to learn from those things. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But will we trust in the Lord? See? And that's the, that's the thing that we have to come to. That's... When, when David did that, and you think about it, you know, you're, you're hamstringing all these horses and they're, you know, going to be used by you, aren't they, to, to defeat all the other enemies? Don't you need them? And, and God says, no, I want, to, I want you to make it very loud and clear that you don't trust in anything else but me. We need to do that. And God will show you the divine details on exactly how to do that. We also read in verses 5 and 6 that David defeated the Syrians when they came to help Hadadezer, killing 22,000 of them and also putting garrisons in Syria of Damascus. And so they became David's servants, bringing tribute to him. And so we read in verse 14, I'm very, verse 6 again, so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. We see the same thing in verse 14, real quick. It says, David's servants and the Lord preserved David wherever he weren't. And so he preserved him. And that, that right there is the first point. It's a blessing. The Hebrew word, it, yasha, is usually translated to save, to deliver, to give victory to. And so when you look at this right here again, look at verse 6. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. Let me ask you guys a question. Who was the one responsible for victory? It was the Lord, right? Who actually kept David safe? It, it was the Lord. And, that, and that's important for us to understand. Don't get me wrong. We need to do our best to cooperate with God and imitate Christ and to frustrate the enemy. And we have our responsibility as men and women, but we must also remember that God is simply 
searching for empty vessels to work through, men and women who are holy, men of purity and integrity, people like David, through whom God can do his work, and he's glorified in that. And so I love the way it just gives God the glory, so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. I love the way it just gives him the glory, because he's the only one that can defeat even the most insignificant opposition, the most insignificant demon, only he could give us the victory over what you might consider to be the smallest sin in your life. And so for every win over sin, we have to point to him. The Lord preserved David. And I love that preservation, keeping him alive, yeah, but giving him the victory. See, and so we move then from preservation. Well, well, then what happens when that happens? When God saves you like that, you know, takes you out of hell, gives you heaven, keeps you alive, and allows you to experience victory. Well, then the next thing is what we would consider dedication. Because look at verse 7. It says, And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hey, sir, and brought them to Jerusalem. I know you're saying daddy. You're like, why is he saying daddy, sir? Because really, that's how you pronounce it. It's the, the E is long, hey, daddy, sir, and brought them to Jerusalem. And also from Beda and from Berothai, cities of hey, sir, King David took a large amount of bronze. And when Toai, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of hey, sir, then Toi sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been war with Toi and Joram. Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. King David also dedicated, and there's the key word, dedicated, these to the Lord. Along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, and from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the valley of Saul. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. See, because of the preservation, we should be living in complete, absolute dedication. And that's what we see right here in the life of David. We read in verse 7 about the shields of gold that had previously belonged to the servants of Hadadezer. David brought them to Jerusalem. We read in verse 7. He collected a large amount of bronze from two more cities. We read that in verse 8. Those were things he fought for. And then we read of things that were given to him from Toi, king of Hamath, who was delighted that David had defeated Hadadezer. Apparently he had been at war with him, but Toi sent Joram, his son, to David, who brought articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. We read that in verses 9 through 10. And then we read there in verse 11 that King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued and and the key again is simple at this point 
Because when you're dedicated to God, when your heart is dedicated to God, then you end up dedicating not only all that you are, but all that you have to God. See? The Hebrew word translated dedicated, kadash, it means to regard or treat as sacred or hallowed, to set apart, to devote and to consecrate. And that's what David was doing. And it's, it's so cool because, you know, you might even figure, well, not to the temple because, you know, God said no. When David had in his heart to build the temple, God said, no, you're not going to do it. No. How do you feel when God says no? To you, some people they don't like it. Um, some people they they'll they'll do what they can to make it happen, and others will maybe they just get bitter, they get upset. Oh, someone else is going to do it. Yes, yeah, someone else, not you, somebody else. Oh, you don't like that. We don't like that. David, I love this about David. He had no no problem with God saying no. So much so that all the wealth that he acquired, he didn't put it in the bank account. He didn't. He just gave it to God. The gold, oh, I'm going to give that to God. The bronze, oh, I'm going to give it to God. The silver, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to this guy over here who is going to build the temple of God one day. You see, he knew about the preservation how God had, you know, taken him from hell and given him heaven. How God had saved his life, you know, from dying and then gave him these great victories. And that, when that really hits home, I think a lot of times we're not really living in dedication because we really haven't yet grasped this, this preservation. I mean, God has saved us. And God has given us the victories. And God has given us the wealth that we've acquired. It's, it's God who's given it to us. And that's why it's so cool to see the way David just gives it back. Even though God said no to David when he had it in his heart to build that temple. He said, you know what, I might not be able to build it, but I can fund it. You know, and I can't be there to gather in it, but I can do what I can to gather for it. Because David was dedicated to God, he was unable to dedicate everything to God. You know, later we read in 1 Kings 7.51, So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated. I love that. The silver, the gold, the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. You know, and you guys, you know, Again, I don't want you to think that man is asking for money. You know, I don't want you to think that. And I don't want to overstep my boundaries. You know, you're, you're a steward of what God's given to you. You know, but, but I just want to encourage you tonight to really search your hearts. As we live in here and as we gather things and as we, you know, acquire wealth and we build that up, you know, are we doing this the right way? Are we investing in the kingdom the way that we should? You know, it's so cool how the Lord blesses his body. You know, how that computer over there, or that computer over there, or that soundboard, or those chairs, those chairs that you're sitting on, somebody, the Lord laid on someone's heart to give those to the church. 
this pulpit, the, 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 the furniture, the, even the refrigerator back there, you know, God gave it to us. Our, our communion cups. I mean, it's amazing to me when I see how the Lord, you know, through dedicated people, dedicates things and consecrates things to God. It's just a beautiful thing. And one day a lady came in. I remember she was sitting behind one of those columns. And I don't want to, you know, give her any glory or anything. But I remember she said, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, like focus. And so, you know, she gave us some money to buy the, the TV thing so she could focus, you know. And I mean, it's just funny how the Lord will do that. And yet the bottom line is I think a lot of times people, they just, it's for themselves. We here in America, a lot of times you just be so careful our natural response to salvation and preservation should be dedication. David's preservation through the Lord led to David's dedication to the Lord. And it reminds me even of our study last Sunday. You guys remember in 3 John chapter 5, and 3 John verse 5 and 8, Beloved, you do faithfully whenever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, are to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. And we talked about that this last Sunday. You know, the dedication of those dollars are described here in Third John. When you give it to the work of the Lord, when you give it to the workers of the Lord, it's described with such words as faithfulness and love, doing well, and making yourselves fellow workers in the kingdom of God. You know, David understood this. Uh, that's why, you know, if you get a chance, maybe you can read First Chronicles chapter 22, and it just talks about all these, the way that David was speaking to Solomon and telling him, you know what, we laid all these things aside for you to build the temple or First Chronicles 29, 1 through 9. It's communicated, I think, to us in the scriptures to motivate us and that we would actually benefit the church and the gospel. I remember one time even, you know, one of the guys over there in, in, in Cambodia, you know, one of the, the, the his, over there, they, they, they travel on motos, right? And, uh, and so when you guys go, you're going to see it's so cool. But one of the pastors, a beautiful, beautiful pastor, he, his, his, you know, his, his motto, uh, I don't know if it got stolen or, or broke down or what, and, uh, and, uh, and so the Lord provided a new one. And even to the helmet, God laid on someone's heart to buy him a helmet. Isn't that cool? What's God laid on your heart? You know, we just search, search your hearts. Why do we? Why do you? Why are you asking me this, Manny? It's it's for the temple of God. It's for the kingdom of God. Why would David want a temple of God? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. His exaltation, their edification. He could picture the day when people would be built up in the faith. And for their salvation, the whole world would travel. They'd hear about this temple, and people would get saved. In a very practical way, you see, we give to God our, our time. We give to God our talents. We give to God our treasures, and we give to God our temples. And then you watch what happens when you just you're just you just give everything to God. 
you know, and I want to encourage you. I just pray that you would be just so blessed, so blessed in giving everything to God. Everything. You know, I was telling my wife, I was even telling my, my son the other day, I said, I don't think I've ever been more busy in my life than I am right now. You know, but I'll tell you what, it's, I don't think I've, I don't know how to word this, but, but it's been so simple. It's been so easy. Even though I've been so busy, I guess you could say doing more than I've ever done. And then it's like, what's happening to me is like I, God is giving me time. Because that's the way it is with your money, right? If you hold on to your money, you're probably going to end up in debt, man. If you start giving, watch what happens. God will get you out of debt. When you start giving, he opens the windows of heaven and he blesses you. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You mean if I give to God, then I'm, I'm going to receive it? Yeah, you know what? You will. The same is true with your time. And I was telling Shelly, I'm like, I can't believe it. I've, I've had time like to exercise. I've had time... You know, to do the yard work the way that I've always wanted to do it all my life. And, you know, um, I've had time, you know, to read and to do different things. And I think that that principle of just giving to God what belongs to God off the top. And then you, you just, it's amazing to me the way that he, he gives back. And so this right here is not, you know, to, to like burden you. This right here is, is to bless you. You want God to bless you? Have a generous heart. Watch what he does. See, we learn from David's preservation. We learn from his dedication. And then we even learn in closing, real quick, from his administration. Because look at verse 15. It says, so David reigned over all Israel... And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahihud, was recorder. You didn't know they had CDs back then, huh? And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. Zeruiah was the scribe, and Ahiah, the son of Jehoiada was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. And, and like I said, you know, going through David's life, we learn just different things. They're, they're written for our admonition, you know, to learn about the preservation, to learn about the dedication. And then to learn about this, even this administration that, that David had. The Hebrew word translated administered is that word asa, which means to do. It means to work, to make, to produce. The King James Version translates it to execute, which is what an executive is supposed to do, right? Execute. Producer is called to produce. A leader is called to lead. David ended up being a good administrator because he was a good facilitator and he was a good delegator. You know, one of the things I've learned, and I'm sure you guys know, that if you try to do it all yourself, then that's all you'll do. But when God begins to raise up people like, uh, you know, the recorder and the priests and Joab, the general, and, you know, just different 
people who are called and anointed by the Lord, and then you begin to see what God can do. It's just an amazing thing. David administered judgments, it says, that were just. Notice again what it says right here in verse 15. David reigned over all Israel. David administered judgment and justice to who? All his people. All his people. Can I just say this? Guard yourself against being a person who shows partiality. Love everybody. Minister to those that God brings into your path and lays on your heart. David here was cool. He, he administered judgment and justice to everyone. And that's important for us. It really is as Christians. The NIV puts it this way. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. The NLT it says David reigned over all Israel and was fair to everyone. It wasn't a respecter of persons. And that's something that we have to see take place in our own life. Did any of you here, just out of curiosity, did any of you here see the, the, the presidential prayer breakfast recently? Shelley, let's see here. Well, we saw it together, huh? No, I'm just joking. You know, Xavier was telling me about this. Oh, you got to check it out. You know, this guy's, uh, we just, you know, he said some things that were really cool, so you know, right away went on YouTube and, and I watched it. It's not that long, but it was really cool. You know, this guy, um, Dr. Ben Carlson, he has his video on YouTube. It's already close to 2 million people. He gave a really good message with the president there sitting just a couple of people down. And Dr. Carson, as he's given this tremendous message, a man who was raised out of poverty, amazing education, he's a brain surgeon now, loves the Lord. Man, he gave a great message. And he pointed out the fact that government is not simply the government of the middle class or the poor, for that matter. He says we shouldn't penalize those who work hard. Not only is that not fair, it's counterproductive, right, to a country. No, he went on to share, you know, that's not the way it works. Exodus 23, verse 3, You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. And so we got to be fair to everyone. Why should we make them pay 59%? Oh, I don't like them because they're rich. Well, somewhere, you know, down that line, they worked hard, right? And somewhere over here, down here, on these people who are, you know, sitting there sometimes, not always, but in that cheese line, they don't want to work hard. So, so all I'm saying is that I love the way this government, this king, this monarchy here was fair to everyone. And we need to have that heart. David's a good example for us in that he reigned over all Israel and was fair to everyone. He administered wisely, he was just, and he was joined by others who were then called and committed, an organization that just what brought God glory, a, a delegation. Joab was over the army. Have you guys read about Joab? Let me tell you something. You don't want to mess with Joab, man. This guy was bad. You know what I mean, man? I mean, he was just, he was called to be the general of David's army. He was mean, man. You read about Zadok and Ahimelech. They were the priests, and so David would inquire through them. Right? And we had David needed these guys. 
right? We read about Sarah who was the scribe or, or the secretary there, just even places that we might consider to be insignificant. They're not. There's no insignificant place in the body of Christ. And Benaiah was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Apparently these were foreign bodyguards for the king. I thought about that. Well, why did David need a bodyguard? You know, but I guess that was the way it was. You know, I'll share this with you guys since you guys really love God and came on Valentine's Day, and you won't tell anybody this, but this last Sunday we had some incidents where, um, you know, um, you know, because we, we always go back and forth with the ushers. Oh, should we have someone seated right there, you know, who will, you know, protect Manny if someone rushes the pulpit? And so that's why we have David over here. No, I'm just joking. You know, and, and, I, and I feel funny. I'm like, protect me. I mean, give me a break. You know, I mean, I feel funny. But anyways, uh, some churches do that. But this last Sunday, there was a, a, a guys coming up and wanting to get the girls in worship. Just rushing, rushing the stage for that. And so we need some bodyguards up here. David had bodyguards. Elazar, you can sit right there. <laughs> it's okay. All I'm saying is that together in this delegation, this organization, this administration, there's that spiritual structure that sometimes people say, well, we don't need that. Oh, yes, we do. Because we want God to be glorified. And he can't do it by himself, and neither can she. And God raises up a team. And it's a beautiful thing when you see it all come together. You see, we learn from David's preservation. We learn from his dedication. And we even learn from his administration. I pray that God would stir our hearts tonight. And I, I just, like Holly was saying earlier, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. But I would say this. You know, and not to, to you know trip anybody out or, or anything, but for some of you here, you just you got to let go of your sin. You got to let go of, your, of that sin. Sometimes even the sin of unbelief, but that's all. He just says, "Man, let go of those things, and watch what I can do through your life." You know, and, 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 and you know, you might have that brother or sister next to you. I don't think God will anything, do, it, do anything great with their life. You watch. You watch what God can do through those who, who just, Lord, I'm just yours. It's not that I have anything to give. I always tell people, you know, like when we're doing whatever it is that we're trying to do for God, I say, God... You know, here's our, our two fish, Lord, and here's our five loaves. Lord, I know, I know it's not enough to meet the needs of your people. But it's all I have, Lord. And all I have, Lord, I give to you. And that's all he wants. You give to God all you have, and then what does he do? He takes it. And he breaks it, he blesses it, and then he meets the needs, spiritual needs of his people. That's what we need to do, man. Just dedicate your life to the Lord.
Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage.